Are you a bootstrapper who's never considered raising investment money? Or maybe you're a diehard VC-funded growth hacker who can't imagine running a business without that extra cash infusion? Well, either way, Jason Cohen's journey from bootstrapping to raising millions will give you a fresh perspective on the funding debate. Jason discusses his personal discovery of wanting a different journey with WP Engine, which led to raising money after two years of bootstrapping. And now it's Unicorn. Well, there you go. We also uncovered the importance of understanding your competitors instead of just demonizing them in order to develop a unique strategy for your own business. Jason has seen and done a lot as a founder. And no matter what stage of this journey you're on right now, you will learn something from our conversation today. Let me quickly thank the sponsor of this episode, Acquire.com here. More about that later. And now here's Jason Cohen. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jason. That's really nice of you to come. Two exits and two unicorns. That, those are quite some credentials that you have there. And one thing that I really, really love about your journey is that uh, the businesses that you've been involved in started out bootstrapped and then later raised investment money. And I always wondered following that journey, was that the plan from the start or did it become a necessity at some point? How did you go from bootstrapping to raising money? Because those tend to be different things, right? It was never the plan from the start with any of them. And so with smart bear, um, I, I did not, I never raised money. I sold it while it was still bootstrapped and it was only the company I sold it to, which was insight venture partners, a well-known VC out of New York. Um, they put in more money and bought up a number of companies, which it now is still called smart bear, but it's a number of development tool companies centered around quality. And, uh, but I never raised money for it at all. Then with WP Engine, WP Engine was my fourth company and, uh, and bootstrapped again because all of them were. That's, what I, that's the deal. Um, but about two years in, it became clear that the market was way bigger than I thought. It really was an opportunity size that you could raise money for, meaning like it was plausible. It, was, it made sense to. Not that you have to, but you could and it would be logical given how big it could be. That became clear after two years. And then the other factor was, um, again, having done it many times and also now being a father at that time, um, I think a combination of that was like, maybe I want a different journey this time. And I don't mean a different journey as in, oh, I know how to make companies. This is easy. That is not true. There's a couple of things that are easier, like, oh, you know this about taxes or you have this one framework about doing this one thing. Okay, a little bit, but largely everything's new, new customers, new market, new product. Even in a market you understand, 10 years later, it's still a different market. Still, everything's different. Um, and so you really have to have beginner's mind with each company. So not that I thought I you know, knew all of that, but rather, um, am I optimizing for profit or growth? Is the constraint money or is the constraint people? Um, how big of a strategy should we make or can we make? What kind of an impact can we make in the world? Um, what kind of an organization we want to build. Those are the kinds of things where there can be d very different paths. And since I had done one path and one set of constraints and goals, you know, multiple times, again, I, I didn't go into it thinking I wanted something different. I thought I wanted the same, but then it turned out like, you know what, maybe. And so it was this just discovery, personal discovery, I guess, as well as being in a, maybe luckily in a, in a, in a market and with a product with such fit, because it was incredible product market fit. Um, uh, that uh, that that be, that was a viable option. Of course, now in retrospect, absolutely correct. 
Right. Yeah, I think that that paid out pretty well. Well, the the thing that I wonder about, like I when when I built my businesses in the past, I always considered myself identity-wise a bootstrapper. I thought yeah. that was part of me, right? And that that always made the even just the idea of raising money something like no, that's what other people do, right? It's kind of the the inversion of what Seth Godin is talking about with things people like people like us do things like that. People like us don't do things like that. They don't raise. So did you struggle with that at all, with this kind of identity thing as a bootstrapper in that moment? Um, <clears throat> I did not because of a couple of things. One is I, I do identify with the companies I have or the ideas that I have, uh, the blog that I've written for over 16 years. Those kinds of things, of course, are part of my identity, and I do feel that way about. I don't feel that way about processes. I don't feel that way about sort of some of these more objective decisions. Should you raise money or not? What kind of culture should you have? Um, is design important or less important? Um, there's which markets and what kinds of things are good other than some very broad things like making the world net better instead of net worse that I think some companies do or unethical things other than some like very big boundaries like that. I don't have a personal thing. So like I don't have an ax to grind with investors versus not. Having done both, it's like, yeah, they, they, they both have upsides, downsides. There's bad actors in both places. And, uh, I don't know, you know, like, like I see all of the above. So I'm not, I don't know that one's evil and one's not evil. Um, I've had experiences with investors where they, um, have been without them. The, there's no way the company would be as good as it is, including things like culture and people, not just financially. And also things where the internal desires of the investors mean that the pressures on the company are wrong. And I don't mean at WPNG necessarily. I've, in, I've invested in dozens of companies, so I've seen other investors act. But like as an investor myself, I've been with companies where um, it was very clear that the founder would be better off if they sold it. They wanted to sell it. And I saw some investors trying to get them not to because I guess that investor wants to whatever. But I saw others, including myself, saying like, good for you. Let's help you do that. That's what you want to do. Let's let, let us help you do that, which we did. So maybe that was a, I mean, was that less overall return for investors? I don't know. It was a return and the founders burned out. So that actually sounds good for everybody. So I've seen people be extremely helpful in that role. And I've seen people be, um, I mean, hurtful is maybe the wrong thing, but like not, not taking the company into consideration, being very selfish and so forth. I've seen both. So to just paint a broad brush and just say it's bad. Uh, I get it. I, I understand that mentality. It's, it's something to do. It's, it's a thing to rail against. And that makes sense to me. But to me, I, I care about the actual behaviors going on rather than the, the concept of like fundraising being something that it is or isn't me. Yeah. It feels to me that. It's kind of not taking investment to many people is a shortcut to not having alignment problems with investors. Because if there's no investors, kind of, of an alignment problem because you're not going to have any alignment. But Definitely. obviously, there are great investors that will align magically or at least intentionally with your business. So yeah, that, that's kind of what I've come to understand as well. And it's it's funny that you say that, that you're saying that you are invested in other companies. I think I found on your website that you are in, or were invested in Shortswift Capital. Is that correct? Yeah, 
Yeah. Did you were you aware that the Scherzer Capital was the acquirer of my SaaS business yes. a couple of years ago? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of I, I guess I have you to thank on some level for being no, acquired no, no, no. as well. So <laughs> no. there you go. <laughs> no, but but uh, but there's a great example of what I think of. Okay, is an investor? Well, it is as an LP in that it, they are an investor. Of course, they buy out the company completely and run it and so forth, but they are an investor in the same way that a private equity is. They're really a private equity for small companies. So um, aren't they great? I mean, I, I watched your interview with Kevin and, and like, aren't they making the world a better place? Aren't they making not only the world better for founders who are getting, who, who get to get out of, of the company, whether that's for liquidity or burnout or both, I, I would guess a lot of the time, isn't that better? And it elevates people who are at the company and they get a chance to shine and have some leadership positions that maybe there wasn't room for before because it was a small company. Yeah. So isn't that better for them? And it's better for the customers, of course, if the company has continuity and doesn't just burn out because the founder burned out, you know, that's what, so isn't that making the world way better? And that's an investor. So again, like I, I care about, I do think there's a lot of bad behavior investors and I love it when, when that's called out because it's very bad. Um, you know, Corey Doctorow, for example, fantastic at calling out bad behavior in industries, companies, et cetera. So hell yes. And like, I'm way, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to rail against those behaviors. Right. <laughs> but to just say like investors are bad. It's like sure. Swift is bad. Really? You really want to say that because you're just so bootstrap. Like I, some people do say that and I, I don't, I don't, I just don't agree with that. Yeah. Don't agree with that either. It's, it's funny because I, I learned of Scherzworth through Morgan Stausinger, who I had on my show just a couple of weeks ago. And he was just, just an a SaaS entrepreneur who sold his businesses there as well. And that gave him the opportunity to build better and even bigger businesses. Like yeah. they literally made the dream that he had possible by being there and being willing to acquire the thing that he was ready to sell. Like, that's also a thing. Like what Kevin was saying, like most people sell for a reason and money is not always that reason. Burnout is different diversification. That is a big thing too, right? Like taking some money off the table, getting getting a half exit or full exit or whatever. Yep. People have their reasons and it's nice that there is something in there for everyone. And even uh, there, there are funds like the Calm Company Fund or Tiny Seed where there's some money for bootstrappers that is not bound to the VC growth expectations as well. I, I like that there's a continuum. That's what I really enjoy. And I think at some point in my life, I was very much on one side of it, just mm -hmm. like, you know, a radical bootstrapper, uh, which, which is funny because I used to work for a Silicon Valley, like series A raised SaaS business in the past. And I thought, oh, VC is where it's at, where it's at, where it's all at. So yeah, I had this, yeah. this overreaction. That's, that's false too, right? Like, I mean, yeah, both, both are uh, super limiting in a way. Yeah. It's just, it's silly. I think, I think when is it bad? When is it good? Very interesting questions. Mm -hmm. But just to say like, you know, it, Selling your business is bad or fundraising is bad. It's like, oh my gosh, that's just, that's just, um, it's reductive and yes. silly. Right. And then, and then, especially if you're really mad about it, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's there's a pretty weird um, stance taking in in our community. I think that the, the polarization. I think it might be a social media problem that things are so polarized that you have to take a stance because if you don't, then nobody cares. So you <laughs> do because it kind of in anticipation of getting some support, you take a more radical stance and then you kind of drift apart. I mean, do we have this in the political systems of the world? Maybe, right? Yeah. Like that well, seems to be one, one nice thing about being extreme is it's very easy. Uh, to, yeah. to think about stuff because it's just like this is bad this is good and so that's that and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a good way it's sort of like you know what diet what's the diet that works well really like as long as you're not eating too much and too much bad stuff that's probably about right unless you have like a very special problem so how come there's so many diets well 
these diets are like super extreme in this or never eat that. Probably it's just a simple rule. And the fact that it's a simple rule means it's easier for you to follow it. And a more complex, subtle rule is just harder. And so the cognitive load going down, it just like makes it easy to go to the restaurant and just do this and tell them no that. And, the, and it's just better. And so it's not really about that there's no carbs or there's no this or that. It's really just that it's a simple rule to, to get to what you want. So similarly, I don't, I mean, it's fine just to say like VC bad or fundraising bad, bootstrapping good. That's what I'm going to do. There's nothing wrong with that really because, okay, then you're only going to read these kind of blogs. You're only going to follow this kind of stuff. Yeah. And good. Cause that means you'll get this, you'll go deeper in one area. That's good. Now I could say you're not as well-rounded. You may be missing out on ideas. You certainly have a skewed version of what the world's like, but it's actually kind of useful. So I don't know, like it's a, it's a good way to focus your time. So I, I think if you're getting upset about it, then maybe it's like, Hey, look, that's crazy <laughs> to be upset. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're like, no, I'm just focused. I think that's probably wise actually. I think that there's a difference between being interested in something and being prescriptive about that, mm -hmm. right? You you, yeah. you can be super interested and go super deep. I mean, that's kind of the, the T-shaped employee thing that I'm always yeah, yeah. thinking about, right? You have yeah. a broad view of everything, but you choose one. Yeah. But the moment you become an I-shaped employee, you have a problem, right? You don't want to be the, the just just going deep on one and ignoring everything else. Well, another thing too is... is uh, Your competitors may have raised money. In fact, yeah. if you're in any kind of a market that's not trivial, there is other, there are other competitors that are maybe large, maybe raise money, or maybe they're simply large. So they have money themselves. Like it doesn't really matter whether they raise it or not. And so if you know nothing about that and what their incentives are, what their culture might be like, what they might be trying to do, what their goals are, um, how is it that you're going to develop a strategy of your own where you win in your own way, knowing how they might react or may think about different things? You may know, um, oh, since they need to do growth over everything else, if I'm if I go really strong in, in let's say, customer relationships and I spend all this extra time talking to people, making relationship, reaching out as soon as they in personally, as soon as they sign up, I can do that because I'm not at scale and because I I, 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 could, I could be profitable, more profitable Uh, or even just happier, have a happier customer base, more delighted customer base, rather than how fast can I grow a certain number? But they do because I know that they raise from wherever place and that's how they run their companies. So if I have a strategy that does X and Y, they will not follow me. Like even if they could couple me, could like in quotes with, you know, monetarily, they won't because that's not their culture. That's not their goals. So I will definitely have a unique strategy if I do that. See, that's, that's part of what makes strategy good is when you can say that. So if you know nothing about the other side, because you can't be bothered and you think it's quote unquote stupid, even though they're hundred times bigger than you. So how could it be that stupid? Um, then you're probably just ignorant about your own strategy. So again, you don't have to like it and, and, you know, but like to just be ignorant of it or say that they're dumb when they're winning, it's like, I don't know, like that doesn't sound right. Um, you want to build your own strategy where you win in your way, whatever that may be. Um, and what that way will not be is you trying to outspend them on things because that's what they've got is that money. <laughs> you need a different way, but similarly they do need to, in, in a funny way, they almost need to spend money. It's not quite true that they need, but they kind of do like you raise the money. The purpose is to spend it on something that de-risks the company or causes growth, something like that. So they kind of do need to do that. Well, if you know that, what can you do differently? Okay. So it actually can be really enlightening, not because again, they're, they're dumb, but because they have a different set of things they're solving for different set of constraints, different, different goals than you. That's, that's the genesis of a good strategy. 
I like that. That that makes a, a lot of sense to me. That that self-imposed ignorance by picking a spot and never looking anywhere else—that is a self-limiting belief, right? That is something that limits you, not just in in who you can talk to and who you can learn from, but also just understanding how other people work. Thanks for sharing this. this is, yeah, I think this is a pretty smart strategy. Just to be aware of other people's incentives tends to be good to know what your competitors want, so you yeah. can see if you could just do something else that they don't want. And then live beside yes. them, right? That they but won't react it. to, they won't follow, just because they don't even want to. Um, it could be, yeah. It, you know, another thing is, 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 um, if you, um, if your attitude is they're dumb, like they raise money so they're dumb or they're bad or they're evil, that's preventing you from a true analysis of what their strengths really are. Strengths that they have that you may or may not want to combat. You may, you may want to go strength for strength. That's fine, but you may want to go in an area where they're weak or not looking. Um, if your attitude is they're dumb or bad, then, th- then you are not thinking about where they're strong and good. And that's what you need to do so that you're building a strategy with that in mind. So yeah. that it, it harms your ability to think objectively and rationally about it. Assigning any kind of em- emotional quality to a business generally tends not to be a smart choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very human yeah. thing. And businesses, as much as the legal code may disagree here, are not people. Right? Uh, At right. least they don't think exactly like people. Yeah, I, I like that. And and I think this this kind of self, it's it's an ego thing to me in, in many, many places where founders are like this, or at least where they openly communicate about it, it often rings off, I know best. Because, and then comes the list of accolades and experiences that they think that gives them the right to feel superior to everybody else in their industry, right? It's protecting their ego to, to not look at other things that might clash with their reality. It does, but, but like, I think that, that there's a healthy aspect to that. Like, yeah, why did you start a company? If you must think that you know better, like, otherwise, what are you doing? You must believe this is a better design. I have better ideas. I want to run an organization in a better way. In fact, I don't want to raise money because they're just going to pull me, as you say, in the wrong direction or have the wrong counter incentives or just whatever. And I don't want that because it, it, it could be, I think I'm right, but it's, it's even more, I think, just don't tell me what to do. I just need to do it my own way. Yeah. Some people need to do it their own way and think they're right. They're very confident. But I find that a whole lot of founders, me included, Want to do it my own way, but I wouldn't say I know I'm right. I just need to do it my own way. Yeah, <laughs> how do you learn, right? Them, whether I'm right or not, I need to do it. Sorry, I just need to. <laughs> and I don't need investors telling me what to do, and I certainly don't want employers telling me what to do. So I might not even have that confidence to say that I'm right, but I still need to do it my own way. So I think you do have to hold on to that because that's the impetus. That's the motivation to do it in the first place. And so you need that. That's the thing that's giving you the energy to do it. So you do need to have that that uh, whether it's confidence or not, you need to keep that because that's what's going on. But to your point, like, okay, so that can be very strong and give you energy, give you motivation, cause you to do all these things in the first place. Good. Keep it. But then when it bleeds over into not just, I need to do it my way, but, and also everyone else is dumb or evil or the, like, well, wait a minute. Like, you don't need to put that label on someone else in order to say everything you just said about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> that's not necessary to do that. And if you realize that, Maybe it allows you to keep that attitude without having to be negative about something else. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I've ever was uh, trying to instill in others that they're doing it wrong, but I did suffer, I guess, in the end, a lot from thinking that only I knew how to do it right. 
And only I was the one that should have done the thing that I did. I, you had a talk uh, recently, I guess, 20, 2018 at Saster, where you kind of go into the, the mental health things that, that founders go through and where people who are at a stage where they, they're really not happy anymore with what they're doing. Yeah. And they say, well, I can't leave the company because if I do, everything implodes, right? That, yeah, that kind yeah. of self-aggrandizing uh, perspective. But I really thought that it was, it was, and let me just admit this here. I, I thought I cannot hire anybody. They don't know, like uh, they can't do the work as I did. And even though I was effectively building a yet another CRUD app, Right in in a maybe in, I did it in Elixir, so it's a language that not too many people code in, but doesn't matter. There's still hundreds of thousands of these developers out there. I just thought, hey, there's not enough work for them because only I can do it quickly enough. And there was so many self delusional stuff in my life that I didn't hire, and not not even just coders. We we didn't hire anybody, which led me to a burnout state. And right. I fortunately had Kevin and Joseph uh, there that were able to guide me through the acquisition and kind of allow me to leave the company and not have it implode on me actually derive the value that i so painfully built including this right and not even understanding my own mental psychology around this topic it was horrible i didn't hire because i thought nobody could do my work which is like why do we do this I, and i wonder you certainly didn't do that you you did hire and you you <laughs> grew right. a, a sizable company you have your own building now that's really cool so <laughs> like, did you ever struggle with this like how, how did you talk to yourself about this to get other people to do the work that they're better at than you maybe well, I mean, I've worked with really good people, so I'm not under the illusion that um, there's not such a thing as good people. I think a couple of things to unpack there about that. So again, the founder does have a certain vision and energy that you can't hire for. So you're kind of right that you can't hire someone, quote unquote, to do your job for you. If by your job, you mean everything about being a founder, right. then that's true. Yeah. But what's not true is that you're that you need to hire someone to replace all of you. <laughs> like that's not that's not what's needed. As you said, like the job might be to hire a developer. That's not replacing all of you. And it's it's really <laughs> quite silly to say out loud that no developers are as good as you at writing code. It's just not true. <laughs> it may be true that you don't know how to find them, that nobody wants to work for you. Uh, that might be true, but that sounds like a personal failing actually a problem, a personal problem, not something that you should be proud about, <laughs> you know? Um, now maybe you can't afford it. That's a whole different story, but, um, but if you can, um, yeah. So the attitude that I give, and I, I think I might give it in that talk. I can't remember is certainly as the CEO, let's say founder, um, what is your job in terms of creating the team? And the answer is not that you're creating, that you're hiring marketing person to do marketing and hiring engineering to do engineering. You're hiring people that specifically are better than you at that function so that that function becomes better than it currently is. If you don't, then the, the company will never get better than you personally are at every function, which is a complete failure of leadership. You're telling me it's not a leader's job to make the whole organization better all the time? Really? <laughs> that's not a, that's not his job. That's not the job of every leader. So things are getting better. <laughs> Clearly, part of the job. <laughs> the organization's not getting better, smarter, more skilled. Da, 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 uh, making better decisions. Then you're not doing a good. Then, then that's you're failing. So that means you have to hire people that are better than you at everything. Again, there's some things like there's a, a certain um, there's a certain relationship that you have with everyone as the founder or a certain aura you have that you can't hire for. There's a few things like that. Very few. 
but almost nothing is like that. And uh, um, now the difficulty is higher is how do you find someone who's better than you at something? If definitionally they know more, they have a higher skill set, they're more experienced. How is it that you would evaluate that? But again, if you use that as, as an excuse not to, then you failed as a leader and that's on you. And so there are some answers to that. Like, and again, it's not easy, but like who said it was easy? <laughs> no one, no one promised you it would be easy. Um, so some things you can do, for example, is during the interview, you can ask them even questions that you have currently, you know, how would you approach this? Like they don't have all your details, so they can't give you, well, maybe they can, but you could ask how, how, how would you approach this? How have you approached this in the past? So let's say it's marketing and you know, well, you know, we've exhausted our one channel. Like we get customers every month, this channel, but we need to go to other channels. We're not sure even what to do. What do you do? So did they, they're like, Oh yeah. So like, uh, you got to look at a lot of channels at once and then, and then test like this and use budgets like that. Or maybe they say, you know, people say that, but it's wrong. And here's why. And what you should do is just pick one or two adjacent ones, or you should first, uh, I like to survey the customers and find out where they go. And it turns out they're only in like one or two other places. So you just go whole hog into those two places and you don't try everywhere or whatever their ideas. I don't know. The point is if they come back with all these thoughts, they've clearly thought of this before they've done this before. It sounds rational to you. It sounds like someone where the things they're saying seem rational to you. So in other words, they're compatible with your way of thinking. That's important. And yet it feels like, oh, wow, that feels like several steps in the future. And yet compatible, that's starting to feel like someone in an interview who is better than you, but compatible. So you can, all, so you can think of that in terms of their thought process and skill set. You can, of course, think about it culturally, although it doesn't tell you. Um, you can do reference checks on them. That can be hard, especially if they're working and not telling people that they're looking. Also, you don't, you know, you want to, uh, a lot of times in reference checks, people just say nice things. So you want to ask to me, I, I ask things like, look, everyone thrives in certain environments and fails in certain environments where, what kind of environment do you think this person thrives in? Like, what would be the attributes there? And where would they just fail again? Not because they're bad, but just be a super mismatch. So I ask questions like that so that the person doesn't feel like they're being negative about the person, but I don't tell them what my culture and expectations are, right? Cause I want an honest approach. So that's an example of, of that. So things like reference checks with questions like that, um, these fit questions of, of thinking, but ahead, um, again, there's no magic formula, obviously this it's hard, but like, these are among the things, obviously references from other people you trust. Um, if you're hiring a marketer and you've never done that before, do you have anyone else that you know, or it's in your network that you've worked with in the past who'd be willing to help you interview that person, you know, help you do that. You might even pay them a fee for that. If it's a little bit more of a professional relationship and that might be worth it. Obviously recruiters can do it, but we all know like the best ones are really good, but a lot of them just shuffle resumes and charge you a lot. So it might even be better to give a, someone, you know, a grand five grand, 10 grand and have them help you with the process. That might be actually better. So these are all possibilities to tackle this question of how do I hire someone who's better than me at the thing? But when you do that, I mean, obviously it's, it's almost definitionally you're, you're creating a stronger, better um, company. And by the way, it's so much fun. Like as a founder who thinks, you know, everything, how fun is it when other people have an idea and you're like, Oh, okay. Wait, that design is amazing. That feature was incredible. That insight is good. That marketing campaign is freaking badass. I would never have done that. How fun is that anyway? Just fun. Not to mention effective. <laughs> like yeah. that's the organization you should be trying to build. Of course, you know, so um, that's some ways to do it, but yeah, that should be the attitude. Now, of course you may say, I, I never want to hire anyone ever. I want to be solo. That's totally fine. I'm not, I'm not 
trying to put that down at all. But if you want to hire even one person ever, then then this is the right attitude. Man, I wish I would have met you five years ago because I could have <laughs> really used this. Honestly, that because what you just said, like I, I, the solopreneur thing, that was everything. And the only thing that I really knew is to do my own thing. I had worked in companies before, but I never had any management training or hiring training. I was just a software engineer. Right? I was technical. I did the thing that people told me to, went to a couple mm -hmm. meetings, nodded and bring, brought my ideas in and stuff. And that was really the life that I knew. So I, I had no idea what to look for. And even that I could do it. I think that was the big difference. I was not aware that I could just talk to people and then hire them. Like it, it was bizarre because solopreneurship is all about giving yourself permission for anything. But I was not internally giving myself permission to even think about hiring. That that's kind of where I was. So but what you what you thought or what you just said, uh, and I thought this is this is a wonderful way of um, leveraging, I guess, social media is to have a network of people that can help you with it. That's one way. I mean, you don't have to have that, but it's it's an example of how a network can pay off in ways that you might not have originally thought. Again, there's there's many different ways. That's one way. I do think um, there is there is an attitude which I've had in the past as well. Believe it or not. Of like, well, I just, I don't want employees. I want it to just be me. I don't want yeah. to deal with even one employee because I really want to control everything and it's just more fun and screw it. And and uh, the only meaning I want is in my own head. Now, again, I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, if you want a different path, then here's some attitudes to have, right? Um, but let's say you, let's say you want to be like, I'm the only one, but then you burned out. So here's what I would say about that. I say you, I burned out at SmartPair too. Like, like you're the only one who's ever burned out at a company. Mm -hmm. I think right. it's actually the, the most common case. That's my opinion. And yeah. I certainly have myself. So like, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so, but what do you do about that? So there, again, I go back to um, a theme that's common for me recently, which is this idea of having a consistent strategy. So, okay, you don't want employees. It's just you. Obviously you want to be profitable and probably sustainable. Maybe you want to say it, sell it someday. I don't know. So what other decisions do you need to make about the customers, the market, the product, tech support, marketing, sales? I know you don't have salespeople in that environment, but like there's a function of sales or maybe there's not, maybe it's a zero function, but like what other decisions need to be made so that you don't burn out as a, as a, because if, if, if it's like, it's only me, but I'm going to make these decisions that really need more people <laughs> support is 24 seven, but it's just me. Okay, well, then you're going to burn out when you get a certain number of customers, a certain amount of stuff. It's just going to consume you. So if it's going to be you forever, do not have 24-7 support. Now, you could – you could act, now, anytime I say, like, it has to be like that, you can always think of, well, it could be because what if – so there's always other way, other solutions. So I don't mean to say it's so absolute, but let's just say by default – if it's going to be just you, then you don't want to be waking up in the middle of the night if servers go down. So you need to pick a product which the customer is not depending on 24-7. So that if you have four hours of downtime, they're not going to be happy, but they'll live. That works if you're solo. Um, having, having to always be the only one with a pager always, forever, burns you out, especially once you get more and more. And so that, that stuff happens more and more, and now you're dead. Yep. Yep. Support can be similar. So it's like, okay, no problem. You want to pick that? No problem. But then you need to make other decisions that are consistent with that choice. So that overall you're building a manageable thing. Mm -hmm. And I think when that's, so I don't, you know, any decision you make is to me is like, that's fine, <laughs> but inconsistent decisions, they're not fine. You need to pick, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever made that choice. 
like I am again, I don't think I ever thought that I had to make that choice when I started. Because it's just I'm gonna build a software business because that's what I know, that's what I've done for 10 years. I'm gonna right. do one by myself. Yeah. And I kind of I, I must have completely missed that I did all the other ones in teams of like four or five people with people on call and stuff, right? It, this must must have slipped my mind that there, there was support to be done in a software business. It's bizarre, but you, we you are in, in a way as a founder, it, this is the kind of reality distortion field that you also talked about earlier that gives you this optimism and that like striving for making something new where other alternatives already exist. That sometimes blinds you to the reality of the business for which you may or may not have the capacity. What yeah. you just said with the pager at three in the morning, that is where my anxiety levels came from. Yeah, right. When, so when I sold don't do that. <laughs> yeah, or, don't or, do that. Or you could, you could have another choice and you could say, ah, oh, you know, I can contract with people for that. You can do that for support and you can yeah. do that for the pager. Yeah. Um, now you mean there's, there's downsides to that besides cost. Like, will they do a good job, especially in support? That's really dangerous because they're talking right to your customer. So that becomes part of your brand and part of your product. Is that okay? It might be, might not be. Depends on your business and your attitude. Um, with, with the with the technical pager, at least the customers aren't seeing it. So if they can if they can uh, kind of shield you from some of that, then that might be all right. So again, like uh, you can be creative in saying how no, I am going to make a twenty four seven product, but I'm also going to design my product in such a way. That I can then, when I'm at scale, not right away, when I get bigger, I can contract with a company because my product's going to be built such that there's run books that just always allow you to roll back or re, you know redo the, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to be able to do that and I will build a product so that that's the case. So I'll be able to offload that. Now we've solved it again. Yay. So, like, but what you can't do is ignore, is ignore it completely. Like so either make the problem go away by not having that requirement or there's another solution. So, um, uh, I, I, um, not just not just having in, effectively inconsistent choices, but probably probably not choices you made on purpose, <laughs> but choices that happened anyways <laughs> by your behavior that are inconsistent. That will kill you. So um, another thing when you start doing that and saying like, "Oh wait, this is conflicting with that," is is you start having to decide, well, what do I really want? Do you really want to be a solopreneur, or? Do you really want to have a bigger company that takes more people to be bigger? You have to really decide. Again, there's no right answer. It's only right for you or wrong for you. And at this point in your life, like I started WP Engine wanting to bootstrap again, then I changed my mind. So that's okay. Um, but the, the, which one is right for you? Do you, uh, Maybe you should limit growth so that it doesn't ever get to any kind of scale. That's a possible thing to do. Um, close signups. Yeah, you did it. Yeah. You know, so there's so many ways, but like you really have to end up deciding this is what I want. This is more important than this other thing. So I will keep this and give up that. But having to do that, having to make those really tough decisions, it's a beautiful thing. And I don't, I don't care how smart you are. You should, you should make these decisions, <laughs> you know, and then you'll have this more uh, uh, consistent company, that's sol that's solving for the things you whatever you decided was what you wanted. That's what it was solving for. Um, and also, again, these other strategic choices about who you're picking as customers and how um, they're aligned, and that's good. That just feels good. Oh, I got another type of customer who's right for me. Yay! Like that's a good thing. That's what strategy should look like when it's done right. Would you ever consider building a solopreneur business again? Now that you've been, you know, way on the other side with a huge yeah. business like WP Engine. Um, 
I would consider doing anything again because I can, you know, so I've made enough money where I can do whatever. So I can, I can definitely and do work on stuff that I enjoy. So, but one of the nice things there is um, that means I don't have to make money. So would I do something solo? Yes. I probably would explicitly do something solo, but it doesn't have to make money. So it could, but it really doesn't have to. And the fact that it doesn't have to is such a special advantage of whatever it is. It could be philanthropic. It could be writing stuff or whatever. Like it could be whatever investing in other companies. Um, but since it doesn't have to make money, that gives me lots more choices of what it could be. So I almost feel like I want to do one of those other things that ignores money because I can. That's something that's more unique and would allow me to do something, be something more special, which is probably overall better. Like, I don't think you have to be do that, but like, it's probably better overall if you are, you know, if you, if you subscribe to like the Kevin Kelly idea of being completely unique or, um, Dave Perel thing of, of, uh, the personal monopoly, you know, being your own, the only person who's you kind of thing. I think in general, that spirit's very good. I don't think it has to be dogma, you know, but, but I think the spirit's good. So that tells me I don't need to make another company that makes money. So it could even be an open source project. It could be a philanthropic activity. It could be, um, yeah, more of the writing and, and co- that kind of creation, um, I want to write more about all the strategy stuff I was just talking about. I haven't written much about that, so uh, I want to. Okay, good. So, so do it. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, probably not a company, but that, but that's why. Right. Yeah. So, sounds like you you're not limiting yourself, which is great. Like the yeah. the, the idea to that you have to repeat yourself reminds me of that thing, like uh, Patrick Campbell. He was uh, speaking at MicroConf in, in in Denver a couple months ago, and uh, he was saying after he sold um, Pro- Profitwell to to Paddle for like two hundred million dollars, he still felt like he needed to prove that you know he could do it again. And if you have a, a nine figure exit, and the, the first emotion you feel is ah, oh, this is probably a fluke. I need to do it again, right? That 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 was his reaction. Says a lot about the pressures that he was operating under. And it's nice well, to hear that you don't feel like that. To be I, quite honest, I mean, this is all very personal, right? So there's no there's mm-hmm. no right answer, but it is interesting to see. Um, one obvious reaction to that is I did it. Now I can, I might do it again, but I can pick what would be fulfilling, and I'll have to figure out what that means for myself. That's my attitude. And as you said, I've written about, I have written about what fulfilling means to me and how to do that. So, okay. Um, your other attitude could be, yeah, it, maybe it's a fluke. I have to do it again. Now, again, WP Engine is my fourth company. So I guess I did go back and do it again. <laughs> so I guess I'm like that too, but maybe fourth times the charm. I don't know. Um, but um, that's also logical because why did you, why do you, why do you do the second startup? For the same reason you did the first one, because you were just compelled to. There's really, to me, there's a, we have so much rationalization. My mom used to do this to me. My dad did that. I grew up like this. I had this kind of thing. It may be. Uh, who, I'm not, who am I to say what the rationale is? But what I feel, it's often just, you just needed to. <laughs> like, it, it's really not necessarily that complicated. Um, and so, it, it, why did he do the second one? Because the same reason he did the first one, because he's like, I got to do it. Yeah. You know, like, you yeah. know, is it more complicated? You know, it, and, and, and some of these rationalizations, they sound okay. I'm just, 
and and again, I I don't know what's in people's heads. So, uh, but I'm I'm skeptical because it's so easy to justify or to rationalize in any way. So, like a classic example is um, someone's a neat freak, and they ask why, and they're like, "Well, my mom growing up was an absolute neat freak and made me this, maybe do this, maybe do that, and you know, it it, it just stuck. I like I do that. That's how I grew up." Then you ask another person who's a neat freak, "Why are you a neat freak?" Oh my gosh, growing up, my mom was the slob and every, the whole house was a mess. And keeping my room neat was like my way of keeping control over my own life and just having some agency was staying neat. And that's just kind of stuck with me. Now, here's the, by the way, this is all a true story. This, this, this example is a true story. Turns out these are identical twins mm-hmm. separated at birth, both growing up in a, in a, an adopted family. Okay. So the reason they're a neat freak is they're a neat freak. It's in their genes. That's why. That's the whole thing. They just are. And the, but this explanation of it came from my mom from completely opposite reasons is all bullshit. None of that's why it's because you're a need freak. That's the end of the that's story. Just justification. So there, right? That's a real story, by the way. And and yeah. so to me, that applies to many people's rationalizations of anything. So like, why did you start a company? Oh, well, it could be, I, again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm no psychologist and I don't know you. And, you know, so I don't know. But maybe you just needed to. And so why did you do it again? Because you still needed to. I mean, it, maybe that's it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I think so. And with this one in particular, right, we sold the SaaS business and then we fell into the void. You, you probably know which void I'm talking about. Like when you when you leave something behind and you feel like it's right, it's it's kind of it's still yeah. yours, but it's not. And and that made me build what is effectively the, the bootstrap founder, which is a media business, which is not SaaS anymore, obviously, but I, I still needed to do something and I yeah. needed to do something that gives back to the community that allowed me to do the first thing. So I started another business and now I'm doing the same thing again, right? I'm at a point where I should probably hire and all that. So, you know, because I'm going through the same motions, but this time with uh, some more experience, hopefully more right. enough more to, to make better choices. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, the nature nurture thing that bothers a lot. That bothers me a lot. It's like not knowing if the thing that I'm doing is because I meant to, whatever that may mean, or internally, right? Or if it's something that I think I should do, right? This this difference between the, like yeah. going your path and going the default path. Like yeah. who determines what that is? That, that I struggle a lot with that because it's so easy to still be a founder once you've been a founder. Again, we're talking yeah. about easy, like easily done, easily done the next thing. Yeah. Um, have you ever considered not being a founder anymore at all? Uh, yes. I mean, th- again, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving WP Engine right now. It's been 13 years though. So mm-hmm. at some point it just makes sense. It's just a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, I'm not going to start another company. Um, first of all, I'm older. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, um, I think continuing to do the the writing and, and putting these thoughts out like that, that that's an obvious thing to do, which is not a company. I don't have ads or anything, you know, that's not a company. <laughs> um, but it's fun to write code. So open source projects sound, sound interesting. Um, of course, working with other people, again, I've, I've been an investor and been on boards and stuff like that. So that, that kind of stuff sounds, uh, sounds interesting. Um, I don't want to be just an investor. I, I think a full-time angel investing, wouldn't be good for me because I need to produce, I need to create. And I love helping others to create. That is great. But at the end of the day, if, if, um, if I've not produced anything at all, that's not, I'm not going to feel good about that. So, um, I imagine that's part of it, but not all of it, but, but even that, is that a business? I, I mean, sort of investing is sort of, but not in the way you're saying, right. It's, you're not incorporating and in, I don't know. 
that, not like that. Um, so yeah, I probably, I almost for sure won't have another business, but I'll have projects that matter, whatever that means to me. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I, I do like your writing. I really enjoy it. Your, your long form writing is, uh, it's, it's very thoughtful and it has nice graphs. And I do like me some graphs. It's, it's <laughs> oh, nice to, to have people visualize their thoughts. Like the most recent one you did with the, the elephant curve, that is really interesting. Even though it's in a space that I don't have much you know, knowledge of, the, the VC growth space, it's still exciting to understand, just like we said in the beginning, so you know that the companies that follow that pattern have these particular problems or issues at a certain point. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I really like this. Like, it's funny that you think that's not a business because uh, in, in a way, like most things are potential businesses until they are turned into a business. You know, it's, it's not, and I don't mean like turn your hobby into your business kind of thing. I just mean, this is a thing that just either can or can not be monetized. You'll see. And the monetization turns it into a business, but the action would be the same that you would take in the business. It's a, it's a media business that doesn't make money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know uh, I mean, sure. Like, maybe that's what it is. Uh, when I think of business, I think of something that has revenue. Yeah, that would be good. I you would know, like that in like, a business. And that's not my goal. Like, I yeah. would rather, like, I'll I'll take the, uh, you know, newsletter subscribers, the RSS feed, the Twitter. That's what I want because it helps my ego and makes it feel good when I post it and other people <laughs> share it. I like that. And then people say it's nice and then I that makes me feel good. Um, and I have these ideas, but if no one else um, has, no one else can have them. That's not so fun. So that that feels like it's worth putting it out there. That's that's the revenue I want, <laughs> as opposed to dollars. I even say in my uh, in in my emails just once a week. I say like I don't make any money off of this in any way, and so it, the best way to 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 contribute back is to share it. Because <laughs> again, that's that's what I want. Is is I just want that. That that's it. So is that a business? Uh, I just don't say that because it's not for revenue, but, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to say like, yeah, but you're, you've got a project and you're trying to optimize for something or other, and, and you're trying to build something up and it's over a long period of time and it's not a hobby like chess, it's, it's a little bit more directed than that. Okay. Then I agree. But, uh, <laughs> I guess, the, I guess the, the real point is, is, is not for money. That's the, yeah. that's the point of that. Thank you for, for honestly defining what it is for you. And I think that, that, that honesty stuff is something that I've heard, heard you talk and seen you talk about a lot too. Right. If you've had a talk from, what is it? 20, 2011 or something. 11, I think. Yeah. yeah that about honesty yeah. in business. I really enjoyed yeah. that because I've been doing a thing that I have so conveniently uh, placed on this here thing, like building in public, right? So like building in public is, is something that I've been doing by myself or myself and with others and seen a lot of people do. And I really, really like it. And building in public is effectively being honest about your journey, the ups and the downs and that kind of stuff. And I do wonder what you think about that movement in particular, because you've been around for a while, right? You've yeah. like building in public like structurally exists since I guess 2009 when Pat Flynn started the, the smart passive income podcast where it became more of a digital thing. I mean, people have been sharing their journey every were before but now it's a it's a thing right it's a defined thing so what do you think of building in public would you recommend that for founders like to share their journey from the start even while they're still building is that something you would do yeah i mean this is definitely another one of these personal things a bunch of stuff comes with it and uh if you value those things uh then that's fantastic um but you don't need to do it if you don't want to so there's a lot of nice things um one nice thing is you are constantly evaluating yourself because you don't just post 
revenue, you say things like, I'm trying this marketing thing. Oh, this didn't work. Oh, I had this thought. And, you know, oh, what did you do for that? And uh, um, even to think, what am I going to post and what do I think about that? Because I need to post what I think about it. That's almost for sure a valuable thing. That kind of meta conversation is good. Um, and then having some feedback. Now, of course, you're going to get feedback from all over the place online. So who knows which of it is valid or not? You have to sort through that. It's too bad. Um, but, but, um, but hey, that's better than no feedback and just sitting there going, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know what to do with any of this. So like having some kind of feedback, even though you still have to evaluate it, that's probably valuable. Um, we were just saying, do you have a network and do you have, you know, where can you go for that? Well, you're building it. You're in, you, you build it over time that way. Is that valuable? Yes. There might be these moments where you're like, I need my network for this, or can you help me with that? I, I notice some people sometimes are like, should I do design A or design B? And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of fun and it's kind of neat. And, and, and sometimes there's really smart people out there who give really interesting feedback that you were never going to get. Um, so these are all kinds of reasons why it might help your business succeed because it helps you think more clearly and, you know, you can get some feedback and, 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 and build a network like, not necessarily a network to buy the thing, but network to talk through problems or, Hey, um, I need to incorporate. Should I use that Stripe Atlas or what should I do? You know, like even just these basics, that's pretty useful. So, um, these are benefits. Drawbacks would be things like, um, it takes a lot of time. If you actually are going to build a network and have a lot of people and say that it's a lot of time and you could be spending the time doing anything else, resting, uh, writing another feature, launching a new marketing campaign, anything, <laughs> anything but yapping on Twitter. And so in a sense, like it, it, yapping on Twitter will not directly help your business. And we just said oh, it would indirectly. So that's fine. But like, it takes time. And I don't believe people are like, I just do it for five or 10 minutes a day and I'm building it public. I don't believe you. Yeah. You're on here all the <laughs> damn time and you're doing all kinds of shit. And like, it's a lot of your life. And also it's fragmented. We all know that uh, context switching and, and that is bad, very bad. So it's not just, I spend 20 hours on Twitter and 60 hours on my business every week. It's that it's like this. And so that context switching makes that much worse than it might sound when you total it up. That's not totaling it up is not how time management and attention management works. So, um, I think it's quite distracting and probably dramatically reduces your productivity to build in public. Um, so that's, that's a big issue. Um, I think uh, another positive aspect though, is going back to strategy since it's my favorite topic of the moment, mm -hmm. obviously, but not the mm -hmm. academic crappy SWAT type bullshit, but like the <laughs> stuff we're talking about, you know, the stuff I think that matters. Um, one beautiful thing about building in public is you have to build a product and a strategy in which being a secret is not part of your strategy. Yeah. And that's good because that's usually a really weak kind of a strategy. It can work for like your Coke formula, the KFC formula. Okay. Like there's, there's time, there's a time and a place, maybe a, tr a truly tremendously amazing algorithm of some kind, like occasionally, occasionally I get it, but like, is that what indie developers are normally doing something of that? No, come on, no way. Right. And so, um, but so it's forcing you to make a strategy of growth and even of competitive advantage that isn't based around some sort of secret that probably other people can just rip off. Um, 
or like, because you're small, like, or one kind of a secret is that you're small. So like when you're starting out, especially when you're selling to businesses, you don't want them to know it's just you. So you say we on the homepage about us and you talk about how you're headquartered in wherever the hell your house is, you know, right. And you know, you never let on that you're one person because you want the, you want that business to trust you, believe in you, think that you're stable and so on. So you don't want to say that you're only one person. That's an example of a secret though, not just algorithms, but that's a secret. If you're building in public, then that's not a secret. So that means you can't rely on that ruse and still get customers. To me, that's good. Yes. Because you are just one person. And if someone thinks you're a big organization, they may expect things like 24 seven support or, you know, (laughs) more features or integration. And you're not going to do that because that's not who you are. So that kind of a secret to me builds a bad strategy in that it's inconsistent with who you are and what you can actually deliver on. So that promise, I'm like a bigger company, you will not fulfill it. Therefore it's a bad strategy to have that positioning. And I think it's a good strategy to have positioning. That's you can fulfill on that promise. But then some people won't want to buy from me. Yeah, and they shouldn't because you can't fulfill the things they need. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Instead, you should focus on the people for whom you are a perfect fit. You know? So to me, it helps you actually kind of forces you into a better strategy, meaning a better, like actually who you are, therefore promises you can actually fulfill. And then you'll get people who are like, oh, I want to support the little guy. Uh, I want to support the one person. Um yeah, then you'll get them. And that's right. That's who you are. And so that's a good reason. So building in public sort of push nudges you towards don't have secrets. Don't try to be something you're not. Try to win on your actual own merits and weaknesses. Win on that. That is a better strategy. Again, you should pick consistent decisions with that to go with it, right? But that's actually going to be better. So build in public, if you use that that way, I think that's that, that's helpful. So overall, like, of course, building in public is cool. Um, I do worry about the time commitment. I say commitment, the time that you spend and that you just have to decide what you think about that might just be worth it. It might be like, well, that's part of my social time that I could have spent with friends. Instead I'll spend on Twitter. Um, it could be, that's just so fun. You just don't care. Um, it could be that you do regulate yourself a bit. Like maybe you don't go on all the time or it's real regulated. Like I go on during lunch and I go on like kind of over meal time. I'll do it. Otherwise I really won't. And that will keep my productivity high. Um, so there might be ways to mitigate, mute the negative things that it is and, and keep those good stuff. Um, overall, though, um, is it better for the world? I would have to think it is. The more you can see that people all people of all kinds, from all kinds of backgrounds, doing all kinds of things, are all trying. And many of them won't succeed. And we love all of them anyway. We're, we're rooting for all of them anyway. And if they don't succeed with one particular product, they'll just do another one. <laughs> and when people can see that, I think that's a beautiful and empowering thing. So that to me, that in, in terms of the overall view of the world, hell yeah, that's it's a great, it's a great thing to see. I love that because the, the motiv- motivating nature or quality of building in public is extremely strong, particularly yeah. with failure. Like people fail, and they do something else. All right, I guess I can try. Right? If you're f- afraid of failure, because th- I come from a, I come from Germany, a pretty you know bureaucratic system, and school was just the same. Like, don't try, you might fail. That's kind of <laughs> what often was the message that I got as a kid, and it's kind of <laughs> still in me. Although you know, nature and nurture. We talked about this earlier, but I, I've unlearned this, and I've just I'm just now just doing things to see if they work or not, because I've also seen other people try and fail and get back up and be successful eventually. 
So that's that's something that that, that definitely allows for. And I love that you talked about this uh, the self selection of your potential customers, either in into your business or out of your business. You're, yep. you're for me, you're not for me. Either of these is great because it just aligns better. So that's yep. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you talk about building public um, in that way. It's really, it's really nice to hear what I feel mirrored <laughs> back at me because that's, that's yeah. why I do it because I want to see people feel empowered to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. That's really nice. Yes, and that, that aspect is undeniably great. Well, I, I do also appreciate that you share a lot of your knowledge around building businesses, even if it's not like building public uh, as you built a business, but you just have a lot of strategy stuff that you that you do share. And um, I was I was recently looking at your Twitter profile and I looked at your Twitter bio and I um, <laughs> found what I think is probably one of the best Twitter bios that I've ever seen. And oh, if, I, if I can just <laughs> quote that here, because I, I just really, really love this. Sure. <laughs> so the, the bio is keyword, buzzword, half-truth, Adjective. Hey, look at me, founder of two unicorns, WP Engine and SmartBear.com. I love this. That's just great. And it <laughs> does say a lot about how you don't want to be perceived in our community. And, um, what I, what I do wonder is how did, have you avoided becoming like a hyper public thinkfluencer in a space that very actively pulls people like you that have been successful into these prominent places and then corrupts them into these uh, <laughs> quote machines? How, how has that not happened? Well, you, you say I avoided it. I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to get more popular. What do you mean? Like, I'm not avoiding it. I'm just, I'm just failing. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> more smart quotes. Like, just really, really tiny quotes every day. Just throw them out. Oh, my God. I like how you're avoiding success. How'd you do it? Um, what? <laughs> Wouldn't call that success. I, I don't think in our community it's necessarily a successful thing to be considered like a yeah. – you know, a person that well, is only doing it for, for, for cash or something. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, who knows? Because like, I don't control how other people see things and what they do. Um, one thing is I don't live in Silicon Valley. And so whatever <laughs> machine that is, I'm not a part of never have been. So I don't know if that's part of it or not. It's really hard in retrospect to even in retrospect to say like, why did that happen? And you're like, I don't know. Like, I did various things, various things happened. I really don't know what causes what or what absence of thing caused the absence of another thing. Like, I don't know. Um, I do think, I mean, you said earlier about being honest and, and as you know, and as you said, like I've been talking about that for a long time, really live that all the time. Just like, just being very open about everything. Um, maybe that's part of the answer though. Cause maybe if you're vulnerable and a human being, then you can sort of stay grounded and stay, I, I want to say accessible, but you know, um, relatable maybe. Um, whereas like, it's hard to like it, Zuckerberg is a machine, right? And like anything that would pierce that idea of him being a machine is bad. Like the thing is he's a machine. You almost don't want to think of him as a human. Um, so maybe the, maybe being honest like that maintains my <laughs> my status as a human being <laughs> your lack of success as a machine is that what you're saying <laughs> i don't know oh that's funny well i i've i never heard anybody refer to being a human being as a lack of success in, in a social media platform that is, that is pretty funny uh yeah I, I get it i think like just being a, a relatable human being makes you kind of more immune to the allure of being a persona Right, like it's it's this thing between being a person and a persona. Oh, right, right, I, I, right. Personally, I think I've been a per person when I started. Then I became a persona for a little bit and uh. tried all of these smart <laughs> quotes and stuff. And mm -hmm. then I just thought, no, this is so much work being not me. 
I would rather be myself. Yeah, and then yeah. I went back to person with the knowledge of what a persona does, so I could avoid it. Yeah, yeah. I guess you you had similar experience on on those platforms, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's just it's just what I it's sort of like we were saying earlier. It's just that's this is how I have been forever, as you can see. I mean, <laughs> I've been writing for so long, been in that way public, not like public like a, a government official, but you know that kind of public for so long. It's real clear over you know almost two decades of writing. Like okay, well, this is who I am. Like yeah. take it or leave it, I guess. You yeah, know, right. like if you like it, great. If not, well, that's what it is. So I don't know. <laughs> Certainly, is your personal uh, monopoly right there? I think you yeah. defined yourself pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and and one one of them, and in fact, the Twitter bio has this or exemplifies this is, um, I've I've always said like. <clears throat> If you're first honest about a situation, then it's a very, it's much, much easier to deal with it, whether it's negative or positive or whatever the hell it is, but just like being upfront about it, just kind of like if it's in a meeting, it, it, it like takes the, the, the worry levels down a bit. It's just like, Oh, we can just admit something and then we can deal with it. It's okay to just say yes. Yeah. It's okay. You yeah, know? That's right. Um, and so, um, or like, even if you're like, man, I'm terrible at X or like, I'm, um, I don't know. Like I'm too hard on other people about X. If you just say that, like, I know I am, I'm kind of working on it and I kind of don't know. It's kind of out of my control, but you know, there it is. I'm not proud of it, but there it is. It just diffuses it so much. Like the next time that happens, they're like, you're doing it again. You're like, God, I know. Okay. Oops. It's just very, very different. Right. So it's right there in the Twitter thing. Bullshit, bullshit. Look at me. Bang, bang, bang. Then I, then what do I do? I turn around and say, look what I did. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Cause I want to say a little, cause I want someone to follow me. So I want to say something that says you should follow me. Right. But I start by, by being like, Hey, look, this is, we all know that Twitter is just like CNBC and right. I do too. Well, here's mine. And it's like, okay, you've sort of bought my, not forgiveness, but <clears throat> uh, okay. Like now I'll listen to your bragging and, but I won't quite feel like it's bragging because you just diffuse yeah. the situation. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's, it's all expectation management. That's what yeah, you've been doing. Yeah. And I think that you've doing, you've been doing a great job. So let's do something for your Twitter following. Uh, now that we're coming to a close <laughs> with this interview, where do you want people to go to follow uh, you on social media? <laughs> uh, on Twitter, it's a smart bear, like the animal. And, uh, um, and then the, the the blog or the articles, I guess, is asmartbear.com. So there you go. So yeah, like you want me to feel good, then follow me on Twitter and subscribe <laughs> to the. I only I I post um, at most once a week. So and as as you said, they're like they're they're more in depth, they're thoughtful. So it's, it's definitely like low low quantity, but. Um, and then sometimes I'll post like an old one from decades ago that are that or a decade ago that's um you know, poignant or people like or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's low. You won't, I won't send you a lot of stuff, but hopefully it'll be good (laughs) median. Good. Um, So yeah, you want me to feel good, subscribe and then tell other people (laughs) and then share some stuff and I'll feel so good. It'll be great. That's right. Like, and subscribe, right? Isn't that what you got to say today? Thanks so much so much for that i think that the stuff you do send is more than median good let me just say this i really <laughs> appreciate it and i appreciate you being on the show today that was really really kind of you to share your knowledge and your insights and your experiences from building businesses like this man jason thank you so much for being on the show that was oh really man cool. i love talking to you about this stuff and and uh, uh, anytime any topics happy to it's uh <laughs> This is a lot of fun for me too. So see, I don't make money, but like, this is yeah. fun, actually fun. So I want to do this. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it.
I'll take you up on that. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Have a good one. See ya. Thanks so much. And that's it for today. We talked a lot about what to do while you're building the business, but what about selling the business? Well, this is where our sponsor comes in today. Not only is acquire.com a prime resource for people who want to eventually sell their business, they're always there for you on the journey, no matter what stage you're in. Case in point, well, imagine this situation. You're a founder who's built a really, really solid SaaS product. You've acquired customers and all of this is generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe that's lack of focus or lack of skill or just plain lack of interest and you feel stuck. What should you do? Well, the story that I'd like to hear at this point is that you buckled down and somehow reignited that fire. You got past yourself and the cliches and started working on the business rather than just in the business. You then built this audience and move out of your comfort zone and do sales and marketing like a pro. And in six months, you've tripled your revenue. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, reality is not that simple. Situations are different for every founder facing this crossroads, but too many times the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. If you find yourself here or your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is the smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid to see if this is the right option for you. And now thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at AvidKahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You find all my books on my Twitter course there too. Hey, if you want to support me in the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will truly help the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.